God is good, amen? Amen. It's so good to see you all here. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to encourage you to uh, turn with me to the book of Romans. Most of you could have already told us where we would be this morning because I said we're prowling through the book of Romans, and that is something that requires time, um, and uh, not only time, but patience. Um, it requires that we look and pay attention and um, hopefully catch some things that maybe we would have missed if we would have trotted right on through. And uh, not saying there's not going to be a few areas that we'll probably trot through at a pretty good pace, um, and we will do that, but for the most part, we're trying to really see and learn um, what the Apostle Paul was really laying out for us here in, I believe, one of the greatest um, passages, pieces of scripture um, that, that you could ever read, and we're going to look at that here today as we do more, uh, let's just say, uh, very intentional looking into this amazing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul is writing, as we know well by now, that he has been writing this letter to the church at Rome. He had never been to Rome at this point. Um, he longed to go there, and he will end up in Rome, but it won't be as a free man. He will go in chains, and uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, will, will end up there. And, and God's providence uh, will still be worked out in the Apostle Paul's life. But nonetheless, he's writing this letter to the church in Rome. Um, we know it would have been a young church, but there would have been Gentiles, there would have been Jews there um, in that church, and so it's going to help us understand a little bit why Paul is mentioning certain things um, about uh, this gospel, but in relation to a Jew versus a Gentile, and why he spends so much time trying to make the point uh, that circumcision has no value um, when it comes to salvation, why would he talk about that? Well, because the nation of Israel, it was given to them by God through Abraham that, that for all generations, their males would all be circumcised as a, as a, uh, as a type of, uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sign, if you will, of them being set apart as the nation of God. And so Paul wants to make it very clear because as you read more of Paul's letters, you're going to find out um, in the early church primarily too that this was not the only time that this arose as an issue. Um, in fact, you'll find that in the early church this was some things that would have been told by Jews to Gentiles that you need to keep practicing certain things and so on and so forth. And Paul has made it so amazingly, abundantly clear about the gospel and what it means and what it does not mean. So my prayer for us this morning as we go through this passage here in Scripture, although there's going to be a little bit of, uh, of repeating, if you will, um, I want us to really grasp today the, the very foundational um, things uh, that Paul mentions now about the gospel, their, their doctrines, their truths about the gospel. Why is that? Because I want for each and every one of us, as God does through his word, we want to be able to give an answer for this hope, this gospel that we have. We want to be able to tell people and explain to people what the gospel really is. And I think it's important, especially in our day, that we become um, aware and educated to what this gospel really means, what it is and what it is not. And... Um, we need to contend for this gospel in every generation, and certainly we must contend for it 
in the generation in which we are a part of right now. And so that's why Paul, I believe, is trying to make this so very, very clear to us, not only us, but to the church he was writing to. And then for us now, all this time down the road, here we are, 2018, and we are still contending for the gospel. God is still building his church. The gospel still has the power to save. The gospel is still the same, and it needs to be preached and taught, and we need to share this amazing gospel. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. So here we go. Now, we're going to prowl through here. We're not going to just stroll fast, um, but we're going to be looking now for for what Paul is trying to lay out for us. And so, um, simply going to start in verse 21 of chapter 3. We did spend time here last week, but we're still here. There's still some things that we want to point out here that I believe Paul wants to make emphatically clear, not only to those in Rome, but for us here today as well. How many of you really desire to be able to contend for your faith and to give an answer for the hope of this gospel? How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you, that is your desire? I mean, obviously, we want to be able to do that. One of the things I think that we are in danger of within the church today is somehow, some way, we have left, if you will, our brain out of the gospel. In other words, like we, we, we think that for us to, to believe this, to understand this, to get this, that somehow, some way, we have had to take our brain and pull it out and wrap it up and throw it to the side, that we somehow are believing in something by faith without any substantiated evidence. But that is not true. And so we need to, also in this day, we need to be able to intellectually be able to meet people on a level that's more than just um, a level of what we believe. Although salvation is by faith alone. That's what it is. Um, it's, not, it's not based on how good you can define it. It's not based on intellectually how well you can defend it. Um, that's not salvation salvation is by faith alone it's not by works but in our society today with the cowboys that you might work with during the week with the business people that you sit down with and those that you have coffee with and those that you're working with at home or wherever it may be today we need to be able to contend for this gospel in an intellectual way but also using the Bible to share why this gospel is such good news and why it's relevant and why it is critical and why it's so important in today's society. So here we go. I'm going to open up in prayer because I can't do any of this without the Lord's leading help and the Holy Spirit teaching us. And so I ask that you would pray with me today and pray for the Holy Spirit to be our teacher and have his way as we go to his word. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we come to you today. And Father, I want to thank you so much for this local body, these people that we've gathered up here this morning. We've drove the miles to come, not just to hear um, some words from the Bible, not just to have a donut and some coffee, not just to see somebody I haven't seen in a week, but God, we've come here, Lord, to hear from you. We've come here to worship you. We've come here, Lord, to be with other Christians and to, to encourage one another, Lord, and just to, to be around God's people, Father. I pray, Lord, that your Holy spirit god would teach us lord the word what you would be our, our our instructor lord that you would reveal truth to us god in order that we might be able to lord give a defense for this amazing gospel lord that the world desperately needs and the world needs someone to share with them 
It may be, Lord, that this week we, we're going to encounter somebody and, and, and they don't know Christ. And so, Father, you'll set the, 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 the stage for us to share this gospel just through conversation by what they may ask. And then you'll lead us into how we might lead that person into an understanding through your Holy Spirit about why the gospel is such good news and why this individual outside of Christ needs the hope of what the gospel has to offer them. And Father, I pray that you would equip us, that Lord, you would not only equip us, but Father, you would burden our hearts, Lord, for those that do not yet know you. And Father, that you would give us boldness by your spirit to share the truth of the word of God, Lord, in a way that is defensible, but is in a way, Lord, that these people can understand and come to know this amazing salvation through your drawing of the spirit in their own life. Father, I thank you, God, for your church. I thank you, God, for all that you're doing. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. All right. Starting in verse 21 of chapter 3, right, just right along here with me. Paul goes on and says this, But now, apart from the law, a righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets have testified. They have testified to this. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, Paul says, no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard, the glory of God. They've fallen short of that. And then he moves on and says this, and all... Jew, Gentile, every human being, all are justified freely by his grace through redemption. Through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Now God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness to the pre- as to the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus Christ. Where then, Paul says, is boasting? Where's the bragging, Paul says? It is excluded because of what the law, because of, because of the law? The law that requires works? No. But because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith, do we then nullify the law by this faith? And Paul goes on and says, not at all. Rather, we simply are upholding the law. He moves on in verse uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. In, if in fact, he says, if in fact Abraham was justified by works, 
he had something to brag or boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Paul goes on and says this, Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited to them as righteousness. David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Notice Paul brings in Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. He brings him in as a testimony, draws him to the witness stand, says, oh, but what about Abraham? And then he brings in David, right? The patriarch David. He brings in Abraham and David and through the line where Christ would come. And so he's referring back now to those. He brings them to the stand, those, 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 those huge uh, men of, of the faith there and those, those men who were of the line of the nation of Israel. And he says, David said the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. Verse 7, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against him. What an awesome passage of scripture. This is, this, I marvel at this gospel. Do you marvel at the gospel? I marvel at it because to me, it is farly, far more exceedingly great than, than we can imagine or even understand. In fact, I was having a conversation with one of my sons about the gospel, and the truth is, we really can't comprehend or understand the magnitude of the greatness and the goodness of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We can't because it's far too great for us to grasp, but yet it's so simple even a child can get pieces of understanding about it. God is amazing that he would do this. I can't understand why an infinite God outside of time and space would choose to bring redemption to people through this avenue. I don't understand that. But I tell you something. With God, the omnipotent God outside time and space and for all eternity, his plan is perfect when he sees it on both ends. It is perfect. And one day when we get to heaven, we're going to see in a different manner why this process of what God decided and determined about your salvation, your redemption, your atonement, and your righteousness is an unbelievable plan that only the God of the universe could come up with, and it is entirely perfect in how he did it. It's amazing. So I marvel at this gospel. And when we break into this passage, we've talked about some of these words um, even a few weeks ago, but I want to really help us understand this today so that we're able to contend for the faith. And this is what we want to talk about. In 1 Peter, you don't have this one, but in 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, just a, just a, just a little portion here of marveling at the gospel. Listen to what, what Peter says here about this salvation that you understand, that you get if you're here and you're in Christ today, you have this salvation. Listen to what Peter says now about this salvation. He says this in verse 10, this salvation was something that even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation that was prepared 
for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his glory and what would happen afterwards, the glory afterwards. You read through the Old Testament prophets and they're talking about something they didn't even fully grasp or understand about this anointed one that would come or about this, this one who would be uh, the root that would come. I mean, the, the stuff is amazing and I'm sure that Isaiah himself probably was scratching his head when he was talking about the coming Messiah, the fact that he would be bruised and he would be crushed for our iniquities and all the things that would happen and, and everything that would take place. I'm sure Isaiah was like, Lord, I, I want to know what this is all about. But it was still yet to come. He was looking forward. Guess what? We have the joy of looking backwards at this event that took place and what changed time for all eternity. Then he goes on and says this in verse 12. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news, that's the gospel, has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful, listen to this, that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. Is that not awesome? This salvation is so amazing and how God's divine plan and purpose and at the right time he sent a son born under the law, born of woman, so on and so forth, that God did everything in perfection. How he's bringing about the salvation of a sinful fallen human race and how he's done it the angels are just like wow they're just watching in eagerness of all these things taking place so as we come to this text this morning as we look at it as we literally are prowling here now our eyes are open and we're attentive to all that's going on around us bless you and and we are see i was attentive you hear that uh-huh my ears were open yeah i might even find a cow you never know no that would be taken wrong right there Moving on, here we go, right? That was a rabbit. You don't, don't follow that one. So here we are, right here. We're, we're just slowly making our way now. It's mesquite, it's thick, it's rough brush country, but there are some treasures we're gonna find here, and we've already touched on some of those. So the Apostle Paul now writing to Jews and Gentiles now, to both of them, in the early church, and he's trying to address some things about this gospel. See, it's not by works. He makes this so emphatically clear. And so the Apostle Paul here is going to share something that's just amazing. And he's talking about a righteousness. Last week we talked about Martin Luther. And we talked about his life and what brought him to a point of crisis. And, and everything that he did in desperation to come to somehow to have an understanding about how he might become right before God. How could he do this? And he went to great lengths to do this. He was a monk that was entirely dedicated to his church and to the ministry of trying to somehow gain God's approval. He did unbelievable things that we wouldn't do today in order that he somehow might gain the approval of God and be able to stand somehow right before God. But there just was, at the end of the day, Nothing that he could ever do because of the, the, the seriousness of his own sin and because he knew that there was no way that he could ever measure up to the glory and the standard of an omniscient, omnipotent, all-powerful, all-knowing God. 
But he began to teach the book of Romans. And when he came to Romans chapter 1, starting in verse 17, and then moving through verse 18, he literally was at a point in his life that he despised the righteousness of God. Because it was almost as if, yes, God, I know you're righteous, but all men are fallen, and there's no way that a man could ever attain to your level of righteousness for approval. And he began to despise the righteousness of God internally. Maybe you've been there in your own life. But God revealed something to him through, guess what? His word. And we learn that as he reads through this, he says that he read that a right, in the gospel it says a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith. And then it went on to say, and the just shall live by faith. And it's as if the doorway of heaven blew open and Martin Luther, for the first time in his life, figured out by the grace of God that all of his working was entirely in vain because God had already done all the work. And it transformed his life. Transformed it. Because when we understand that a righteousness from God is revealed from heaven and it's by faith and so on and so forth, that God provided the only way for us to be righteous in that he is righteous and he imparts his righteousness to us. Do you get that? See, this is going to give a lot of people freedom like it did Martin Luther. You can quit checking off, don't quit coming, but quit checking off Sunday morning is something I've got to do in order that God might approve of me. No. Your righteousness is rags. Man, it ain't worth nothing. But his righteousness is perfect. And he has imparted it to you. Is that not amazing? I mean, this is amazing. This is why I'm so in awe of this gospel. You say, well, John, what do you mean by righteousness? I mean, we don't talk about these words much today. This is one of the foundation blocks of your faith, of your salvation. And this is what righteousness means. Meeting God's standard for righteousness. A way in which man may be judicially deemed right and approved by God. Haven't you wondered that in your life? Man, even as a young man, I wondered that. God, how am I ever going to be right before you? I can't even make it to Sunday afternoon. Do you see what I'm saying? If righteousness was by works, it nullifies God's righteousness by faith. It does away with it. Because if our righteousness was based on works, what happens when you miss the mark? You lose righteousness and justification, all that, right? Well, you're going to miss the mark, I can promise you that. It'll happen. So God made a way for man to be righteous in his eyes. Not that you are righteous. 
Because if you think you are, that's self-righteous. There's a lot of those out there. But righteousness before God based on what God provided through the Son, Christ Jesus. So one day, listen, this is the question. Where do you stand? We're going to get to that here in a little bit where Paul says we now stand in the grace of God, this grace where we now stand. So listen, where do you stand with God? Can you know where you stand with God? Absolutely, you can know where you stand with God. Do you have to be in this week, out this week, in this week, out this week? No. You can know where you stand with God. Why? Why is there so much joy in that? Why is there so much peace in that? Why? Because it's not about what I've done because I can't do enough. So when it comes to the end of my life or the end of this day, The truth is only by God's merited grace and through his righteousness through Christ can I come before him during the day or even tonight where he calls us to boldly come to the throne of grace. Why can I do that? Because of his righteousness. At the end of the day, I still know that I am right before God, not because I've done today perfectly before God but because his perfect son paid the price to purchase my redemption and he atoned for all the sin that I would ever commit and by faith in him alone, that is where my righteousness comes from. See, because faith exalts God, works exalts me. It exalts me. That's what it does. Now, there's those of you this morning that say, oh, John... Go to James. James says that faith without works is dead. Well, let's listen. You're going to get this out of context. We are saved by faith unto works, but I'm not saved by my works. Works will be something that comes from my new birth. Works is something that will happen in me out of my love for God. And he's prepared works for me to do in advance Praise God. I mean, I I get to do some things, not for my salvation, but out of my tremendous adoration and love for my Savior. Do you see what the difference? Some of you here have been under the teaching or whatever it may be, like I have, have been in my life, that this works thing is so critical and so important. And it works are something I will do. I'm not going to say you're not going to do good things for the kingdom. You will. Why? Because you're a new creation in Christ Jesus. But your salvation, your justification has already been done. It's been completed. Is that not good? Why do we not have to toil and worry and wane about this world? Why? Why do I not have to just be wrenching my hands every single night before I go to bed? Why do I not have to do all these different things to ensure that God somehow will receive me and accept me? The only way he will is if you've trusted by faith alone through the finished work of Christ on the cross where God himself died in your place and atoned by his perfect sin, by his perfect blood for your sin and took your place and you got what? His righteousness. Now I want to make this simple because it needs to be simple to understand I don't want you to leave here today and go I don't understand what righteousness is or how I received it it's not by works it's something God did justification we talked about this it means this to be cleared of all charges this is a big one and we struggle with this 
because we're not worthy of this. We're not worthy of his righteousness and we're not worthy of a justification because we have been wrong and we have committed sin, right? So it's difficult for us sometimes to accept the fact that we have been justified. He uses these words. I want you to get this, and we've talked about this two weeks ago, that justification means to be cleared of all charges that were both deserving and both earned. We, we earned this. We're all guilty before God and he is just. The charges and the sentencings have all been cleared and the judge has set you free. The hard part about this is, is we have a hard time from our justification. Sometimes we have a hard time moving on through our sanctification because we still won't forget and forgive what we did prior to our justification. Some of you have got to just flat out realize that Jesus' sacrifice was enough before God to atone for your sin, no, how, no matter how grave it is. It doesn't matter. It's all been forgiven if you trust in what Christ did. It's covered by his blood. You need to move on and accept this amazing gift of forgiveness that you don't have to live under the weight of that guilt any longer. It's forgiven. In other words, the judge sets you free. God sets you free from the punishment of what you deserved because his son, who was perfect and did no wrong, was the only one who could take your place because if a mere man did it, he would only be doing his own time. But God was perfect. His son was perfect. And he atoned for your sin because he had nothing to atone for. So he literally took yours and mine. And Bible says the sin of the whole world was placed upon him. Is that not a great news? See, when you come to die, you don't have to wrench your hands if you're a follower and a believer and you are a, a, an individual who has received what God has offered and by faith trusted in him. You don't have to wonder where you're going. You don't have to wake up Monday morning going, well, man, I don't know if something happened to me today where I'd go. No. You can know, right? The next one he mentioned was redemption. This justification came through the redemption that came through Christ. Listen to this, and we've talked about this now, but I want you to get it. Justification means you've been cleared of all charges. Righteousness is something you never could atone for, so God provided it, and he imparted it to you. Wow, good news. Listen to this, redemption. Oh, this is a good one. It's another foundation. We gotta know what redemption means so that we know how to define this and we can accept it in our life. It means to be released due to the payment of ransom, to make the required payment for the penalty in order to purchase or to buy back or to deliver the guilty one. That's why that, when you hear the song, I have been redeemed, oh man, that ought to charge your system. Why? Because God literally bought you and set you free by his own blood. Now listen, a slave is what we were, a slave to sin. Now I don't know a whole lot about slavery because it's not been a part of our culture in my time. But I do know this, that slaves would be brought without any, without any verbal withdrawal or saying yes or no or any conscious decision. If the owner wanted them to be auctioned off, they had no choice, put them on the auction block and they would have highest bidder buy that particular one. And they would own him. Rights to ownership. This is what happened. You and I were sinners. 
And even while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for you. Let me tell you something. God didn't pay a few shekels for you. God, he pulled out the stop. You hear me? In other words, if you ever go to an auction, and that's not usually my livestock that they're bidding on, but you get some people who want them, and it's fun to watch it happen. And they're just bidding back and forth, right? There comes a point, though, when you can tell it's getting ready to come to an end, right? It gets real slow. Well, that ain't happening. Satan lost the bid a long time ago. Why? Listen. Because God, listen, God, he paid the ultimate price. What value do you put on the eternal son of God? Listen, this ought to help you today. God said, I want that one. And you were on the auction block, a slave to sin. <laughs> you had nothing to offer him whatsoever. I mean, you didn't have any gifts or abilities to say you could plow well, do it. No, listen, you had nothing to offer and God says, I'll take him. And I'm not gonna stop at a few shekels or a few bucks. I'm gonna run the bid and bid up myself to the highest money amount you can't even put a cap on it because it's not available. And God paid it, listen, to redeem you from the slavery of sin. You hear me? He literally purchased you. You belong to God. He redeemed you from slavery to sin. And now by the grace of God, I am a slave to righteousness. <laughs> I mean, this, this, we haven't even begun to climb the ladder of how great this is. That's why I'm saying all we see is through a stinking veil, like a piece of cheesecloth. But one day, when it's all pulled back and the veil is gone, when you're before the king of glory, standing before his throne, and you are understanding in complete totality what has been given to you, it will be unbelievable. That's why we have so much hope in what is yet to come. Hope. Do you have hope in what yet is to come? Just this quickly, and i got to close here in a minute. Weston finally found a vehicle he wanted. <laughs> Hold on. He's worked, and he's only got so much money. So it's, not hard. it's pretty hard to find a car that's, that you can drive. You, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, further than from here, than, you know, up here to whatever, Walmart, all right? He finally found it. It's like, oh, Dad, this is it. I said, okay, son, we'll do it. We took a long drive. I don't know why we couldn't find one close. And I said, I warned him on the way down. I said, now, son, listen. He was hoping, boy. I mean, whoo. In fact, it was a long drive, several hours, and he's the whole way just, I mean, he is on cloud nine, drove the whole way. He didn't shut up the whole trip. I mean, he was pumped. You know why? Because he was hoping. He was hoping for what was coming. He's like, I can see myself driving that thing home tonight. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he is. I mean, he's all thinking he's bad. You know what I'm saying? I said, son, let me warn you. Let me warn you now. Listen. If you've ever killed a nice buck from 200 yards and you think you've got yourself a Pope and Young, I mean, this thing is awesome, and you walk up to it and the closer you get, you're looking around, where is the deer I shot? His horns went, and he's, it's called ground shrinkage. I said, listen, 
pictures are deceiving, right? Oh, this is it, Dad. I'm telling you, look at all the stuff they wrote about it. We get, <laughs> we get down there, finally pull into the, the place where they live. <laughs> he got quiet. Boy, I mean, just... I was like, well, you're, this ground shrinkage is coming in view. You hear me? He gets out of the vehicle. We walk over there, meet the people. And it only took <laughs> just a few minutes to realize what he had hoped in wasn't what it was. Now, don't miss this spiritual application. <laughs> Sometimes I think we as Christians struggle with really believing in the hope of what is to come. Because maybe we really believe it's going to have some serious ground shrinkage. <laughs> that maybe it's not going to be as great as the Bible says. But oh, let me tell you something. It's going to have the opposite effect. It'd be like pulling down there and seeing that piece of rust bucket and it turned into a 2017 platinum Ford diesel one ton. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be exceedingly abundantly. It's going to be worth the hope that we have. Do you see what I'm saying? It's worth the hope. You ain't hoping in something that isn't good. It's worth the hope. I've got two minutes. You've been redeemed. You've been atoned for. You've been atoned for. God just didn't put talk and talk. God put his walk and talk to action. Atonement means a sin offering by which the wrath of God shall be appeased. And that's what happened when Jesus Christ died for you and me and the sin of the whole world. God said, okay. That does it. That'll appease for all the, all the sin of the whole world. What an unbelievable thing. He goes on in verse 28, chapter 3. For we maintain that a man is justified by faith apart from the law. Aren't you glad this morning? Do you understand that you have been given don't deserve it. Listen, that's what grace is. <laughs> that's unmerited favor of God. You have been given the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have not only been given the righteousness of God imparted to you and that one day when you stand before God it isn't going to matter about all this stuff you're going to stand there why based on the righteousness that we've been given through Christ Jesus you have been what you have been justified do you hear me you've been justified the judge says walk man it's all been taken care of you've been redeemed you've been purchased by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ You've been redeemed by the blood because he atoned for your sin. And this is all by the grace to the glory of God. Does that do anything in here? Do you see what I'm, saying, what I'm getting at? Does that do something for you inside today? Ephesians chapter 2, 
just have to skip over a lot of this. It says this. Paul writing to the church there, as for you in Ephesus, you were dead in your sins and transgression in which you used to live in when you followed the ways of this world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us, Paul says, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in our sins. It is by grace that you are saved. And God raised us up with Christ, and he has seated us with him in the heavenly realms, in order that in the coming ages, our hope, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace not until heaven will you even begin to understand the richness of God's grace that you even know him through salvation listen to this that's what we hope for it says for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith and this is not of yourselves it's a gift of God not by works so that no one can boast for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now I know we're, we're at the end of our time this morning. I want to ask you something today. Does that describe you today? And if it does describe you, my prayer is that you somehow grasp by the Spirit of God what salvation means to you and for you that you understand in detail what really happened and what took place when Christ not only died and gave his life, but he rose from the dead. And that when you heard the gospel and you received this by faith, this work that Jesus Christ did. And let me say this, this isn't all on our own blind faith. There's an intellectual amount to this thing. Why? Because it's a personal experience. It happened to me. I can tell you intellectually it happened to me. It wasn't just blind faith. It really happened. If you're here this morning and you have never trusted in Christ alone, you've been trying to be good enough for God. You know, I'll just be a good old boy or a good old girl and one day God surely will have favor on me. That's not it. No matter how good a guy or good a girl you think you are, you still can't measure up like John like Martin Luther said, to the holiness and the glory of who God is. Do you understand that you need a Savior? That Christ, out of his great love for you, gave his own life, that he could not only offer you the righteousness of God to you, impart it to you, but he also justified you, he redeemed you, and he actually did it through his atonement, through the blood that he gave, the highest price for you, that you might come to be reconciled to God you've never done that this morning as I close in prayer guess what you can make that decision to do it today if God has called you and he's drawing you to him you'll know exactly what I'm talking about you won't have to wonder and if you are here this morning and you get this and it's who you are in Christ I just say that as I pray would you just thank God for what he's done for you let's pray 
our gracious heavenly Father. And Lord, I've just been hung up on this. Why? Because it's so amazing. <laughs> we don't deserve this, God. Lord, I just want to say thank you this morning. I want to thank you, God. Father, for those of us who have trusted in Christ by faith, because of your extended grace to us that we could even call out to you, God, this morning we are righteous before you, not in our self-righteousness, but in what you provided in Christ. Oh, Lord, we've been redeemed. God, we have been set free. Lord Jesus, we have not only been redeemed, Father, but God, you have justified us, Father. Lord, thank you for the atonement, the price that was paid. Father, for those that have not yet trusted in you, but this morning they have heard the voice of God call into their very own soul. Father, they would this morning, just simply by faith, trusting in the finished work that Christ accomplished, that they would receive your righteousness, your justification. They would receive the redemption of Christ because of his atonement. And that this morning, they would experience what you call a new birth. Father, they would have been reconciled to you, Lord. And Father, by your Holy Spirit, you begin the work. And Father, their life will change forever and eternity. Lord, we love you this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this church. Thank you, God, for all you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.